Romans chapter 13, please. Romans chapter 13. If you're here this morning and you do not have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible this morning, I encourage you, we're going to do a lot of Bible reading today, and so you might want to have your Bible in your lap, and if you didn't bring one, uh, which you ought, to, you ought to do that, but if you didn't, uh, the version that I'm preaching from is what's in the pew in front of you, the chair in front of you, so help yourself to that and follow along. Romans 13. Verse number 1, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. We're going to primarily be in verse number one. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Let us pray. Father God, I pray for your help today. I know, Lord, that we'll be on ground that uh, may be discomforting to some. And I know, Father, that there's things in here that are discomforting to me. And so help us, I pray, as we examine your word. May we accept it as your word. I pray that no opinion of mine sneaks into this today. Lord, we all have political opinions and thoughts and persuasions. I know the room is filled with them. And so, Lord, I pray today that we will just concentrate on your word, accept your word, and learn from it today. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to be clear and accurate and practical. Forgive me for any sin that might uh, I might hinder my preaching and my usefulness today. And help me, Father, I pray, uh, to just proclaim your truth. And may we accept it as such. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some have opined that this particular passage is one of the most difficult passages in all of the Bible. Or at least in all of the New Testament. And I don't think for a minute that they were saying it is difficult to interpret Because the fact is, nothing that Paul says here is ambiguous. It's completely unambiguous. It's decidedly clear. What they were saying, I think, is it's difficult because there are so many questions that come up in our mind as we begin to think about these words from Paul. I don't know if you know this or not. You may not know this. If you don't, uh, you know, be the first time you've heard it. But we're in the midst of an election cycle here in this country. Are you aware of that? Uh, And there's no doubt that the Christian's response to and responsibility toward government is much on our minds right now. And so Paul's instructions here are kind of timely, aren't they? Because that is what he's talking about, the Christian and government, the Christian's response to government, the Christian's response to authority. It's timely. Now, the primary interpretation of this passage is the Christian's response to civil authority, to government. But I think also we could 
uh, we could apply it uh, other ways. The, the context clearly demands civil authority, but I think the principles regarding the Christian's response to authority could be applied to other things. It could be applied to marriage, the husband and wife relationship. It could be applied to parenting, the, the parent-child relationship, to employment, the employer-employee, the, to schooling, to basically any place where there is a position of authority. Uh, I think we could apply that. But we're not going to do that today. That's for your own study. Today we're going to concentrate on what it's talking about. And what it's talking about is the Christian's response toward government. And so what is that? What is the proper response of a believer toward government? Must we obey it? Always. What about when we disagree with it? Or maybe like when our political party is out of power and another political party is in power. Must we obey it? What about when our rights are threatened? We have this marvelous document in the United States called the Bill of Rights. It's a wonderful thing. It was added to our Constitution early in our history to protect the rights of American citizens. And, 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 and some believe that it is just being systematically eroded and taken away. And we're watching our rights disappear. And some would say that it's almost an irrelevant document now. Must we submit to a government that continuously slurps away our rights? What about when government takes our taxes and uses it for things we disagree with? We know, for example, that tax money is being used to fund abortions, an atrocity, an abomination that makes any other in the history of the world pale by comparison. I saw a pie chart the other day pastor friend posted this, and it depicted uh, the ratio of American deaths in all of our wars versus the American deaths to the horror of abortion. The deaths from the Civil War, World War I, World War II, Vietnam, the Korean War, the Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, the Gulf War, and the war in Afghanistan all combined were a tiny sliver on that pie chart almost invisible. If it weren't for the Civil War, I don't think you would have even seen them all compared to the millions and millions and millions of babies that have been murdered in that Holocaust. What about that government? Must we obey it? What about when our government approves things that we know God does not approve? What about when our government tells us what we can and cannot say as Christians, what we can and cannot do as Christ's Church, what is the proper response of a Christian to government? Corey Tenboom lived during the Jewish Holocaust. And rather than go along with her government's program of not harboring and helping Jews, she chose to do the opposite. She did harbor and help Jews, basically against the law. Was she right to rebel? Oscar Schindler is another who, despite his government's organized policy of murdering Jewish people, uh, helped a bunch of them. Hundreds, hundreds were saved by Oscar Schindler's rebelling against his governmental authority. Was he right? Or should he have obeyed and let hundreds more die? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor and theologian during World War II when all of the nonsense began over there. Yeah, he decided to get out while getting was good, and he came to America. And he lived in America for a while until he came to see just how bad things were in Germany. And he went back to his credit. 
to try to help his people and preach and help and see what he could do over there. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed just as the war was ending, not because he preached, but because he was actively involved in a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. Obviously illegal, obviously against his government's rule. Was his response to government right? What is the proper response? And I see all kinds of pensive looks because as you think through those various things, these are not easy questions, are they? Where is the line between being a good citizen and civil disobedience? Should a Christian ever participate in civil disobedience? These are hard questions. And anybody in the room who wants to say it's easy, come on up here. It, 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 these, are not, these are not easy questions for us to answer. They're timely. They're hard-hitting. And they are areas where we all find our mind wandering from time to time. So let's dig in just a little bit, just a little bit into what Paul has to say here in Romans 13. I think we could preach 10 sermons from Romans 13. I think maybe 100 sermons from Romans 13. There's just so much here, and it is so timely to us. So what I want us to do this morning is I want to tackle it first by noting the principle taught in Scripture, which is in Romans 13.1. And then I want us also to address some clear limitations that the Bible also gives us to that. And then finally, we're going to do a little bit of reading, and we're just going to go and read some examples that I think will help us. From scripture. So first of all, what is that principle? What is the proper Christian response to be toward government? Paul says it very plainly in the first verse. If you don't have it yet, look at it again. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. We have to start right off by being completely honest with ourselves. There is simply no wiggle room in that verse. That verse means exactly what it says. It's clear. It's not ambiguous. It doesn't provide for wide latitude and interpretation. There is nothing in the Greek, no little nuance in the Greek that I could go to that would get us off the hook. It means exactly what it says. It means uh, Christians are to be good citizens and are to live lives marked by submission to government. All Christians. You notice the word every? Every soul. So there's the principle. There's the principle. And it's not the only place where such a principle is stated in our Bible. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. First Timothy chapter 2. Titus chapter 3, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. First Peter chapter 2, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors or as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good, for this is the will of God. And so the first principle is submission. What should be the response of the Christian to government? Submission. Now, Paul doesn't just dump that load on us, though, without giving us some kind of an explanation. Uh, he tells us why. He tells us why, as Christians, we are to submit to authority. Our submission is primarily due to recognizing the fact that the sovereignty of God is at work in the affairs of men. Notice what he says there in, uh, in the last part of verse number 1. There is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, I think that's the part of this verse that just causes our brains to go into overload. We, we can't get our mind completely around that. But it's very clear, is it not? There is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. It's an amazing statement. There's no getting around it. But it's one supported throughout Scripture. 
Nobody has ever sat upon a throne. Nobody has ever won an election. Nobody has ever ruled a nation whom God did not put in that role. That's amazing. So let's try and get our minds around that for just a moment. Those of you who vote Republican will howl. And believe me, I'm trying to preach the Bible this morning, so don't go out of here and say I'm trying to preach political opinion. I'm really struggling. I, I actually have political opinions, and I've struggled for 10 years to keep them out of this pulpit, but I can't, out of, I can't get away from Romans 13. So uh, these are not my opinions. Those of you who are Republicans this morning will howl, but here's the fact. This is a fact according to Scripture. God put Obama in office. And those of you who uh, vote Democratic will also howl. Because it's just as true that God put George W. Bush in office. And in just a few months, we're all going to go to the polls. And when we go to the polls, uh, whether Donald Trump or Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz or Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden or whoever else happens to jump in the race uh, gets elected, it will be because God put them there. Now, this is not my opinion. This is Romans 13.1. I, I see no way to get around that. There is no power except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, let's take this a step further. That means God, God put Adolf Hitler in charge of Germany. I can't get away from that. That means God put Joseph Stalin in charge in Russia. And if you doubt that, it, it means God, God is the one who put Pharaoh in charge. He even says it. He says it. God raised up Pharaoh, who oppressed God's people brutally, enslaved them, and used them for his own purposes, and to whom Moses was sent to demand their release and relief. And, and Paul used that example clear back in chapter 9. If you look back in chapter 9, you see the Scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all you. Pharaoh! Pharaoh, who enslaved the Jewish people, built the pyramids with them for all we know. God said, I raised you up. God raised up Emperor Nero in Rome during the very time in history when Paul wrote this letter. Now, when Paul wrote this letter, the, the horrible atrocities of Nero had not reached their zenith. He, he had, as far as we know, not yet lit Christians on fire and hung them from poles to use as streetlights in the street. He did that. He was a horrible human being. But that was coming in just a few short years. Harry Ironside had this to say about Emperor Nero. He said, quote, As we come to the study of this 13th chapter, it is well for us to remember that he who sat upon the throne of the empire when Paul gave this instruction concerning obedience to the powers that be was one of the vilest beasts in human form who ever occupied a throne, a sensuous, sensual brute who ripped up the body of his own mother in order that he might see the womb that bore him, an evil, blatant egotist of most despicable character whose cruelties and injustices beggar all description, and yet God and his providence permitted this demon-controlled wretch to wear the diadem of the greatest empire the world had yet known. This is, these are amazing thoughts, aren't they? Can you get your brains around this? It's difficult for us to understand. But the point that we must see, if we, to our, if we are to understand our responsibility toward authority, is simply this. Whoever occupies the position of authority on earth, they are there because God, the ultimate authority, put them there. And we are therefore to submit to God by submitting to them. This is my Father's world. Well, let me never forget that though the wrongs seem off so strong, God is the ruler 
yet. Daniel chapter 2, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His, and He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Boyce, in his commentary on this, said, There is no ruler anywhere or from any time in history who was not set in his exalted position by God. So the principle then becomes submission to God by submission to those who he has placed in authority over us. Paul states that principle both positively in verse number one and negatively in verse number two. In verse number one, he says, this is the authority. It comes from God. In verse number two, he says, do not obey the authorities, do not obey God, both positive and negative. And now I know all of us are squirming in our seats and we're all hating this. I know we are. Because the fact is we can all think of all kinds of uh, exceptions and all kinds of reasons why we don't like this. And uh, therefore, I want us to look at uh, what the Bible has to say about some limitations to this. Because the fact is we know that there are times when blind submission to despotic authority cannot be the will of God. And so what are those limitations? Let's look at that number two. I think... First of all, we need to recognize that this passage needs to be understood in light of something Paul said a few verses earlier. You remember back in chapter 12 and verse number 18, he said, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. I think that's one overarching limitation right there that we just need to recognize. Sometimes it isn't going to be possible. And we talked about that in a previous message. It's not always possible to obey. And I would suggest that this is clear from the very reason Paul gives for our submission, and that's God's sovereignty. If we're going to say that we are truly submitting to God by submitting to those that he has placed in authority, then we are stating plainly that God is the ultimate authority. And time after time we see that ultimate rule described in Scripture, don't we? He is the one that we are ultimately answerable to. We saw that in the example of Pharaoh when God reminded that evil ruler that His authority was only his because God had given it to him. And he was going to take it away. Some other examples in Scripture. Sennacherib in uh, 2 Kings chapter 19. Another example of God's ultimate authority and control over worldly uh, leaders. God said to him, Because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. Sennacherib. This rotten leader had gone where he ought not to go. He had done what he ought not to do. And he was trying to destroy the people of God. And God reminded him that he controlled him just like a fisherman controls a fish. I love that picture. It's it's good for us to remember that God has that level of control. Another example is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar who ruled in Babylon. And his pride at leading such a great empire knew no bounds. And so God had to knock him down a peg. And and you might remember the story in uh, Daniel chapter 4. Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar when he was interpreting a dream God had given him, he said, This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. And if you read Daniel chapter 4, you find that phrase, the Most High rules. You find it all over the place. Verse 17, verse 25, 26, 32, 34, 35. Nebuchadnezzar had to be reminded of that. Yes, he had been given authority. But his authority was ultimately uh, answerable to God. He eventually got that message. One of the few that did. You get to the end of that whole story, uh, chapter 4 and verse 37. 
He said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. So God is ultimately in control, and our ultimate alliance is to him. And so that fact must take precedence over this principle that's stated in our text. Our submission to authority here must not violate our ultimate submission to the ultimate authority, which is God. Billy Graham said, as long as we are on this earth, we possess dual citizenship. On one hand, we owe allegiance to our nation and are called to be good citizens, but we are also citizens of the kingdom of God. Our supreme loyalty is to him. James Montgomery Boyce says the correct way to view the authority of God versus the authority of Caesar is to recognize both, quote, the authority of God and Caesar, but with God in the dominant position. So there is a limitation then to the principle that is stated in our text. If the government or any authority in your life requires something of you that would force you to violate a clear command of God, of the ultimate authority, well, then we must choose to obey God. So there's a principle. There's a limitation to the principle. Let's notice, finally, some examples. And again, we're going to look at some some lengthy passages of Scripture here because I want you to see these examples from Scripture. I think there's a few that will help us. I want us to notice an example from the apostles, and I want us to notice two examples from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Acts chapter 4. Let's look at verse number 1. And again, I want to read a little bit here, so you might want to be following along. Acts chapter 4, verse number 1. This is an example from the early apostles. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Fifth book in the New Testament. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, And perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man, in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. 
So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you have anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Boy, there's a verse that could we could talk about that one for a while as it relates to what we're discussing here. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. What were they told not to do? Don't speak the word. Grant that we may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your Lord, of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. What were they commanded not to do? Speak. The Word of God. It's an amazing story here. In this passage, we see they were forbidden to speak by the authorities, but they recognized in that case that the authorities had overstepped a clear teaching from God. You know, as Christians, we know it is our responsibility to proclaim the gospel. There is no government on the face of the earth that can overrule that authority. God has told us, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It is our commission. It is the only reason that we are here. If it were not for that great commission, we would just all be in heaven with the Lord. But we're here because we have others that we yet need to reach. And so here are the authorities, the ones that Peter referred to as the rulers of the people were demanding something that would violate the clearly defined will of God. And the disciples simply stated they couldn't do it. They said, we can't do that in this case. And then I think it's hilarious. They prayed to God for help in properly disobeying. Did you notice that? That's exactly what they did in, uh, where's that, verse number 29. And then they did disobey in verse number 31. And then we get to the next chapter, and we see it's all nicely summed up. Uh, they, the, the rulers come to them again and said, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Acts chapter 5. So there's one example. Let's look at another. Let's look at the example of Jesus in Matthew 22. Matthew 22. And uh, verse number 15. Matthew 22, verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render, therefore, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Jesus clearly taught here that we should submit to authority. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, 
Caesar has been put in a place of authority by God. Therefore, give him his due. But he also taught that that authority has limits. And to God, the things that are God's. So both are seen in that. One more example and we'll be done. Look at John chapter 19. John chapter 19. I think this may be the best example, actually. John chapter 19. Here we have Jesus before Pilate. John 19, verse number 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law. And according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And he went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. Jesus, in this particular example, clearly submitted to governmental authority. Pilate did have the authority granted by God to execute. And so Jesus submitted himself to that. We see him submitting himself to that in verse 1, verse 5, and I don't think we read all the way to verse 16, but there as well. Pilate claimed to have ultimate authority. Did you notice that? He claimed it, but Jesus reminded him that was not the case in verses 10 and 11. He said, I have the power to crucify you. And Jesus reminded him that no, God has the ultimate power. And then Jesus did something that I think is very instructive to us. He preached at him. told him the truth. He basically preached the gospel to him. He said, the one that delivered me has the greater sin. He was saying to Pilate, yes, God has put you in a position of authority. And yes, I'm going to submit to that. But God is the ultimate authority. And what you're doing, Pilate, is sin. And you will stand to account for that. And so I think there's some interesting things there. Jesus proclaimed the truth. You're only in authority because God who rules over both you and I wills it. You're responsible to do right with that authority and not doing so as sin for which you will be judged. There's a whole other message we could talk here about our responsibility as believers to proclaim the truth to our leaders. Why is our nation in such a ridiculous mess today? I would, I would submit to you it has nothing to do with an election. It has nothing to do with a party. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has everything to do with the fact that Christians have wimped out and do not stand up and speak the truth anymore. Jesus did that right here. He spoke the truth to Pilate. And so there's something for us to think about. Some years ago, I was in a sporting goods store, and I know I've told you this story, but this so impacted my life, I, can never, I, I never forget this. I was in a sporting goods store. I was making a purchase. And I was standing there at the gun counter, and I was waiting for the clerk to finish the transaction. 
And looking around, I noticed something was missing. Many gun stores, any of you who go to gun stores, many gun stores have a picture of President Obama hanging behind the counter. And the picture says, Salesman of the Year. Because most people would would say, and the statistics seem to indicate, that his policies and things have caused more guns to be sold than any president in the history of the world. And so gun sales are, are through the roof. And so in a sad attempt at levity, I looked at the man and I pointed out this omission. I said, where's your Obama poster? And he looked at me and he said, uh, what, do you ta- what do you mean? I said, you know, the poster of Obama that's a salesman of the year on it. And this man looked at me very sternly. I can still, I can still see his eyes right now. This man looked at me and he said, sir, I am a Christian. And the Bible teaches me that I'm to be a good citizen and to not speak evil of the ruler of my people. You know, I've had a few rebukes in my life. Some worse than others. I don't think I'll ever get over that one. I practically had to crawl out of that place. Christians should be the best citizens on earth. We should pay our taxes. We should obey the laws. We should vote faithfully. We should participate in government. We should recognize that human authority is delegated by our sovereign God and must therefore, whenever possible, be obeyed. To disobey the authority is to disobey God. We should never speak evil of our leaders, but rather we should pray for them constantly. Pray that they might be saved. We do this on Wednesday night a lot. Lord, save our president. Save our leaders. Pray that they might govern rightly under God. We should take every opportunity to recognize that our primary task, no matter what's happening in the halls of government, our task as believers is to proclaim the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, if the occasion does arise, and this needs to be finally, it needs to be the last thing on the list, the very last resort, finally, If the occasion arises where submitting to earthly authority would cause us to go against God's authority, in that case, we must resist. I think that's what Paul is teaching in Romans chapter 13. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would bless it to our hearts today. And I thank you, Lord, for the good attention today. I know this is a topic that interests us all, and so I pray that it's been clear. And Lord, I pray it's been accurate. And I pray that it helps us. Father, may we be good citizens. May we live in a way that honors our Lord Jesus Christ. May we be faithful uh, in every aspect of that, even though, Lord, there are times when we see things happening that we don't like, things that we don't agree with, things that uh, we think are wrong. We watch things happening to our country that just distress us so. And yet, Lord, we have this principle. Help us to live it. Help us to submit to you by submitting to those you have placed over us. And help us to know where that line is, Lord, whenever the time comes when we're being asked to do something that, uh, Lord, you don't want. And help us to know where that line is and only come to the place where we would ever stand up against those in authority uh, when you've determined it's right to do that. Help us with these things, Father. Help us, we pray. And, Lord, even though today is a different type of a message, 
Uh, Lord, we didn't we didn't spend a lot of time today talking about uh, things like uh, the cross and uh, the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Uh, yet, Lord, I don't want to close our service without giving those who might be here who don't know Christ an opportunity to think through that. Nothing we've said matters apart from that. Uh, so, Lord, I pray if there are those here today who've never trusted Christ, uh, that maybe somewhere in the singing and the in the communion service and something today, they heard something that uh, would help them to desire Christ, to desire salvation, to desire being born again. And they might step out and we might show them from Scripture how they could know that nothing's more important. And then help us all, Lord, as, uh, as believers. If there are decisions we need to make, maybe, maybe some of us, like myself, need to come and just say, Lord, forgive me that I have not been the kind of citizen that I ought to be. And uh, help us, Lord, in that area. If decisions need to be made, May we make them. If there are those thinking about membership or any of those other things, uh, guide us now as we close our service with this invitation song. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.